0: Hello and welcome to Sads, the weekly podcast in which we pick through the juiciest pieces of meat from the Startup Daily show every weekday on Ausbiz at 2pm. I'm Simon Thompson, editor of StartupDaily.net and host of the show. And great to have you here today listening in. My special guest today is Angus Woods from Advisor Ratings. Welcome, Angus.
1: Welcome, Simon. Great to be a guest on the show. Now, do you
0: see yourself as a fintech or a regtech or where would you sort of put Advisor Ratings in the space?
1: Uh, it's basically wherever the most capital flows are going at one point in time. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, before
0: we catch up with Angus and hear his story, uh, on to show this week, we're going to talk redundancies. Of course, we've gone from the big resignation to the big D notice, and we're going to discuss what's happening in tech jobs. You'll hear from Dan Brockwell at Early Work and Dexter Cousins from Tier One People. Alan Jones, our regular on the show, will also be talking about when you should be giving equity or cash to advisors. And on the startup front, we're going to meet sidekicker founder Jackie Bull after they raised $20 million. And Dr. Louise Metcalf with a story I absolutely loved. She's in WA, 30 years of experience as a psychologist. She's built a kid's mental health app called George. She's on the hunt for about a mil or so, Angus. Oh, great. um, I know, Louise, yes. It's a lovely story. But let's get on to the big news of this week and, of course, crypto. Uh, Wow. It's sort of like, you know, when someone slams on the brakes on the Harbour Bridge and another three cars pile up behind and the next thing you get, no, you've got this concertina? Between Three Arrows Capital, Voyager Digital, and a few of the others in that space, including um, Alameda Research, it's getting pretty ugly.
1: Yeah, we can't stop watching, can we? Though it's uh, it's something that us being in this space, we're looking at every headline, going, um, "Who's the next to fall?" But um, that said, uh, you know, it, it's still you know a long way from um, the the lows of as I was talking to you beforehand. When I was at a Bitcoin conference back in twenty fifteen with uh, the federal government, Sam Dastiari of all people, um, the economics. I think of all people, it would be Sam Dastyari. Yeah, it was Sam. <laughs> but uh, Sam's credit at the stage actually was when um, the government implemented GST on uh, the government implemented GST on Bitcoin and Bitcoin transactions, and we as an industry got in front of him and said, you know what? Well, this is potentially not necessarily a property or an asset it's uh, something that should be in the ASIC sandbox. So we ended up getting GST removed and it's been removed ever since. Fast forward though, um, obviously um, fast forward from 2015, you've got the um, I hate to say it. You got the the anarchists that were involved early on, and now you got the suits that have basically come into the mix. And you've seen the uh, ever since the suits have come become involved, you've seen the price deteriorate accordingly. So is that is that, well, is, little, that is that always a bad thing? A so? little bit of regulation
0: <laughs> is a good thing, and of course, the well dressed Senator Andrew Bragg has been yes. driving that regulation here in Australia. Now, from the opposition benches, of course. But the thing that struck me about this story, especially with Voyager Digital filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the US, and of course that's a different situation to how we do it out here, I suppose it's closer to VA in terms of sort of resetting yourself, was the news that it turns out that uh, everyone owes everyone large sums of money, so... Three RIS Capital owed Voya Digital six hundred and fifty million US, which is a pretty massive amount. But then, in the middle of all of that, Alameda Research has uh, got three hundred and seventy-six million dollars outstanding from the crypto lender, and it's just kind of like all over the place. And they all seem to be sort of yeah. passing the twenty bucks around the
1: room. Well, it's all and it's all the capitalisation on all their balance sheets is actually crypto. It's not sort of real solid either. Well, one, it, it's either. Not even AUD or USD. So it's yeah, not we're, even we're traditional. stable coining here, we're, are we? We're not tr- traditional fiat currencies. And then there's um, then there's not even stable coins so that are sort of being backed by some of these organizations. And then what does, is, is stablecoin really stable?
0: Yeah. Well, look, we'll put that to one side because there is one piece of news that I did want to bring to your attention. I don't know if you saw it this week, but I think it applies to advisor ratings. Tradingplatforms.com put out analysis, and we've been talking about scams. Mm big time here in Australia with $2 billion being lost, double the amount of 2020 in the past year. Most scammers, 32% of fraud cases are happening on social media with Instagram leading the way. Uh, Facebook and WhatsApp are also in there, 26% and 9%. So basically social media is a giant scam and people are losing a lot of money are uh, 575 million US dollars worth of crypto. That is a staggering amount.
1: Huge amount. And that's why partially that, obviously that's why I'm here to talk to today is basically financial advisors are needed when some of this stuff is now ripe um, in the market. Um you know financial advisors need to step in and work out what is it that they're actually what their clients are being sold because the clients are coming in and going i'm seeing something on instagram i'm seeing something on TikTok or tiktok or Tac. um <laughs> that shows my age uh, <laughs> or facebook um and 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 it's Twiggy or costly sort of saying you know i made
0: squillions out of this yeah
1: yeah you know no every 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 um man and his dog is basically now on the show talking about like crypto is potentially a new asset class Um, or not this show, but other shows are talking about a new asset class and advisors need to know about it and then does need to be some regulation to stop this from happening because you're getting mum and dad investors. You're getting the run of the mill um, people that are throwing thousands and thousands of their dollars at this.
0: I kid you not, I had an NFT bro today pitch me the story that after the Supreme Court of the US Roe versus Wade decision, privacy could be solved by buying NFTs if, you know, you're having to deal with abortion termination. It's like I'm just going, how did you manage to connect those two things and please stay away from reproductive rights with your NFTs? <laughs> just like, ah, Angus, let's go to your story. Yeah, sure. <laughs> advisor ratings. Tell us about it. What
1: do you do? How did it come about? Yeah, advisor ratings, in short, it came about after the GFC. We knew what happened from the GFC. Um, a bunch of, uh, I guess, inappropriate investments uh, articulated by you know not just advisors but by the groups you know the the intertwining of in of incentives and investment commissions and the like um, forests. Remember, we we're all buying forests. Yeah, at one we're buying stage. trees at the back at that stage. I think my family even got caught up in the tree saga and it was one hundred and thirty thousand dollars wiped off. My sister's super fun. She'd probably hate me saying that right now, um, but. There was, you know, there was all this, uh, I guess, it was it was quite an unregulated space. Uh, what we didn't know was the quality of financial planning that was out there in terms of what was good and what was bad. So we created a platform and we created a platform called Advisor Ratings where it was simplistically I looked at what was else that was working out there. So I looked at TripAdvisor
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I looked at the concept of uh, rating, you know, people. Yep. Um, and rating professionals and professions and sort of brought those two together um, and that's where um, Advisor Ratings was born. It was basically a central repository where people could actually start to create a, a, a way to communicate their proposition and how it's different from everybody else out there. And, of course, we
0: saw in the Royal yep. Commission that there was probably a little too many too-closer links and conflicts of interest around who was providing financial advice and who was benefiting from
1: that. Yeah, and we, we've, we, we've been advocates for for some of that regulation. I think there was a little bit of overkill. Um, it pushed up, you know, some of the things that in terms of what we, we've seen, a, a, a huge uh, exodus out of the industry some for, for some, from some financial advisors. But all in all, I think... Um, there's been a bit of a net benefit gain um, out of that, but now you're starting to see a net, the, the, it's turned the corners in terms of a net benefit loss because of an overregulation of this industry. And now you're getting things, as we were talking about before, the Instagrammers, the influencers that are coming into the space where uh, financial service professionals should be filling that void.
0: So is advisor ratings kind of like your Uber driver for finance and you're giving them a five-star and they're rating you as a customer as well or is it just one way?
1: No, it's, uh, it, it is, it, it is uh, two-way. So we we look at... Um, there's two things that we do. Think of it like... Uh, uh, think of it like, I always think of it like Rotten Tomatoes.
0: Mm-hmm. As in the film site, The right. film site, yeah. yeah,
1: sorry, the film site Rotten Tomatoes. So what, the, what that is, I use the, I've used this analogy before, but basically you've got your client reviews that those that like action, adventure probably don't know a whole lot. They sort of rate their advisor on the fact that if he's a good bloke or not, does he give me a call? Does he sound like what he's knowing about? And then there's the critics who will look at the cinematography who will look to see, you know, the, the rolling hills and what have you. And I guess that's the role we play. We dig deep into the element of the advisor or how qualified they are, uh, memberships that they have, what type of memberships do, do they have, um, things like our uh, relationship with Equifax. Have some of these directors been a little bit naughty in the past? Um, so we look at all that sort of information and we collate it into one sort of, I guess, scoring system.
0: Well, that brings us to the big idea, one of the things that we discuss every week. Now, it's been a pretty bad year for super funds. I remember them crowing madly last year off the back of 20% plus returns. Haven't heard a peep out of anyone this year. No one's putting out a press release to say how much money they lost. But uh, we're going through this massive shift. Of course, we're seeing it from a tech point of view with there are apps where you can buy shares not just here, but in the US and around the world. It's a much more complex financial market but, of course, now that we're moving into this increasing interest rate period and there's increased volatility, it's a very different state of mind to what everyone's been used to for the last few years.
1: Yeah, and and super funds have a huge role to play in Australians' lives. I think we all were at that stage a while back. Ten years ago, I think most Australians, and we were agnostic around our super fund, where it was going, where it was invested. Um, A little anecdote was one when when Default Choice came into play. When Choice came into play, I was one of the uh, protagonists in inside Virgin Money that helped launch Virgin Super um, with a lot of fanfare, thinking that we're going to get a lot of flow, we got nothing, we spent millions of dollars. And no one, people were agnostic about their money. You fast forward now, what, um, 15 years mm-hmm. um, from Choice, people are now really caring about their money, caring about what it's invested in. So you are talking about, you know, things like ESG or trees and those sorts of things, but let's take a step further around that. That's, that's what's happening in the market now. And yes, it, it's great when the markets are going up, when the markets are going down, everyone's now sort of thinking about how do I get involved in the markets or what am I doing, but what's my super fund doing? So the super funds suddenly are starting to play a big role in people's lives than they have before, partly because they're two decades down the track. They've got far more assets under administration. They're far more mature, but then you've got the baby boomers who have basically been taking advantage of all these legislation changes, throwing a bunch of uh, money into their super funds to get the tax benefits And now they're at that stage that they want to withdraw it. So the super funds are going, holy hell, how do do we help our members? And that's where we're... So we see an opportunity in this space. And also, holy hell, what are the markets going to do around this inflationary environment, the volatility that's playing out, the macro space? Uh, How are we going to service these members? So we see this as a really fascinating, interesting time across the entire wealth landscape. And you got millennials now, that are sort of uh, on the sidelines that had could dip their toe into the supermarket, get ten thousand dollars out, and have a bit of a play, buy a new television, um, stimulate the economy. Um, I shouldn't I shouldn't be so naive. I'm sure. I'm sure I
0: think the, right. the data said that a bit of that was going on. You've just yeah. painted this picture. They were basically a boomer-led QE program yeah. over the next few years as they all start pulling their super out and spending it wherever and however. But I suppose what are the big issues for you in this space at this point in time? Because everyone does get nervous when the market goes down, when we're talking about super, and and it was in the last couple of weeks, the 20th anniversary, 30th anniversary of Keating pulling it off all those years ago. We've now just, of course, gone up another half a percent in terms of how much your employer is putting into your super account. So there is this real momentum building around it. That engagement thing I think is the most interesting part with younger people wanting to be part of it because we 're also seeing a trend around self managed super funds. Yeah. people are going it alone along the way as well
1: yeah, and, and that 's that's where we see well we see opportunity for our business, but that 's where we see opportunity for new entrants in this market, so whether it be technology enabled solutions for engagement, um, whether it be what we are as a data type solution for this market um, in terms of understanding. Uh, what members are doing, uh, what clients are doing with their money, um, how you should engage with a financial planner around that. So, you know, this is a really fascinating, interesting time because we're seeing a confluence of factors go on right now. It's Gen uh, the, the 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 baby boomers taking money out. The Gen Z is basically being far more uh, money savvy, tech enabled, talking about ETFs and the like. Um, and then you've got um, and then you've got super funds who have been fairly apathetic up until now um, and suddenly they have a bad year in a volatile year that doesn't look like it's going to lessen and they're trying to sort of meet the demands of tech, the millennials, they're trying to meet the demands of the baby boomers who are taking funds out and all that. So this is a really interesting time in the market.
0: Yeah, I think one of the reports I saw was basically one of the funds was predicting that it's going to continue not just this year but for another year possibly of negative returns. So we're a long way from out of the woods and, of course, there is that growing conversation around recession. I do want to quickly touch on the fact that you're also raising at the moment... But oh, you're doing are. it a really interesting way. I'm sure you're talking to private uh, capital as well. But you're doing crowdfunding. Why did you go down that? Well, path?
1: I've been I've been a huge advocate of crowdfunding um, from when it was sort of legalised in the UK and the US, especially the UK, um, in terms of giving startups and scale ups access to capital that they wouldn't normally. Because we were a very immature market, and because I was such a proponent of it when I was in front of the government. Um, because of my government lobbying to get it across the board, I know I always thought I really wanted a community. So we create a network of financial planners. We create a network of clients, uh, such as yeah, you know, our clients include some tier one fund managers, the ASX and what have you. I wanted to have people participate, the advisors who are on our platform, clients who use our platform to be able to participate, and hopefully the success story um, that we are. Um, and that's so. I've I've always looked at um, I've always looked at crowdfunding as a mechanism um, because I am an advocate uh, for for giving. Uh, consumers and advisors access to different forms of investments.
0: Walking that talk, and if you did pull your money out of super, you can stick some of it into advisor ratings
1: on the virtual platform. And and, and I think, you know, the the protection mechanisms are there in place for retail investors, you know, the $10,000 minimum. Do you agree with
0: that number? Because we do have some debate and discussion around that. Do you think that's the right level for
1: it? I'd love for it to be more, (laughs) believe it or not, because I am raising it for it. But no, I think for protection for... For retail, unsophisticated clients, I think that's probably about right um, mm. at the moment. Because you've got
0: to have two and a half mil to qualify to be a sophisticated, I'm putting my fingers up in quote marks yep. at the moment.
1: Cause I, th- those levels are, not, are another matter. So that level around what's called sophisticated, um, I think that Separate does need to change.
0: Yeah, um, okay. We'll pursue this a little bit later. I'm going to get to our guests on the show this week and start with one of the regulars, Alan Jones, who is currently the Fishburner's interim CEO. Of course, he's from the venture capital firm Make Ventures as well. Entrepreneur, wears a million hats, writes a column for us every fortnight and then comes on the Startup Daily Show. The theme this week, and I think this is an interesting one that you perhaps grapple with along the way, do you give your advisors... Cash or do you pay in equity? This is the discussion he had on the show this week. Angus, what's your view? Cash cash on the knob knocker every time? Yes. Yeah, because here's what Alan had to say about this. It's quite a long answer because Alan gives long answers, but he kind of covers all the bases. He runs all the way around the diamond in answering this. Here's what he said.
2: Generally speaking, it's generally not a good idea to offer anybody who's giving advice to the business or performing a service for the business who's not an employee equity in the company. The main reason why we give equity to employees in a company is that we're confident if, if we can keep them in a job for a period of time, um, that that equity is going to become worth more to themselves because it's worth more to the company because of the contribution they make to the company over time. And we have mechanisms in place in an employeeship option plan to make sure that if that person leaves the company, that, that we recover most of the equity that, that has unvested in that time. It's more complicated to do that with advisors, but there are other really important reasons why it's, it's not a great means of exchange. So most of the people who will be offering you advice run cash flow businesses. You know, so mm-hmm. if I'm a marketing agency or an advertising agency or a law firm or an accountant, my whole business is, is set up to invoice clients and have them pay me and get it back. It's difficult for them, not impossible, but difficult for them to have another set of clients who are equity clients. These are clients mm. that I'm helping, whatever help they need, and perhaps over the next three to five, ten years, that equity might be worth something to my business. If I've only got 38 working hours in the week and I'm looking at do I serve my, my cash flow clients or my equity clients, In times when times are tough, it's mm. difficult for those professional services firms to go, oh, let's do something for an equity company, because they've got to keep the cash flow coming through to keep all of their employees paid. So that's one really good reason the bigger more difficult reason to grasp that only becomes obvious later on is that even with the best of 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 your interests in mind those advisors are generally going to start to deviate in their estimation of the worth of the equity that you've given them Mm. you're generally going to be thinking that the worth of your company is up here and the longer your relationship with them goes, they're going to be thinking it's more around here, and you're going to be going up like this. And and the thing, especially was, if it's your accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, and one thing that we've all learned from, from 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 crypto, from all of us experimenting with crypto, is is that you know for anything to be worth something, you have to be able to find a, a buyer for what you want to sell. Mm. You know? and and you know on on a crypto exchange, there are many many more buyers for for, for the, the crypto that you hold than there would be if, if if I'm your marketing consultant or if I'm your uh, person helping you raise a round, um, and you've given me some equity in the business, and 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 I now want to sell back to you. you know? yeah. Generally speaking, we're gonna we're not gonna be able to agree on a price, which means I'm gonna be stuck on the cap table. I'll be on unha- I'll be unhappy because I feel like I've given you all of this advice and connections um, and 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 you know my equity, I've only got one person right. to sell it back to and, and our relationship's broken. At the same time you're gonna be thinking, I need to go and raise another round from investors. This person isn't going to invest in that round because they're not happy with me anymore. You know, and my other investors aren't gonna be happy with that person on the cap table because they're just sitting there like a, a barnacle stuck on the side of a boat and, and slowing us all down difficult to dislodge, hard to do anything about.
0: So how about that picture he paints at the end? If you do give one of your advisors equity rather than just paying them, they're like a barnacle stuck on the side of the boat slowing it down. That's a pretty vivid picture there.
1: Well, it's true, but in terms of making sure that you understand, you know, I look at it from the context of what we're doing, but, you know, in terms of making sure that you've got those rules and regulations in place... um, you know, <laughs> you've you've got to you've got to ensure that. Uh, I guess the level of it, it comes down to the le- level of influence and the level of incentive and and those sorts of things. And how much how much can a small uh, equity holder really influence the outcome?
0: I do want to ask you this particular question because I sp- it's it's kind of related. Liquidity in private equity is an interesting... I think we're just starting to dabble. We're seeing a couple of firms that are dealing with secondary market stuff. Do you think there's an opportunity and space, especially in fintechs, um, which would require government regulation, but for us to have this private market where we're handing shares around, you know... Let's say you are one of those virtual investors on advisor ratings and you do want an exit because you want to buy a yep. boat or you want to go skiing or your kids have got school fees. I think
1: that's 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 naturally the next phase in this. In this. For it to mature and for it to actually continue to grow, we need a secondary market. Um, we do need a secondary regulated market where people can comfortably trade shares. Um, you know, there might be some parameters. I'm not sure what that... Uh, I don't have an answer for you of what that may look like today. Um, I've got a view, but in terms of making sure that there is some oversight. Now, in our constitution, for example, you know, it only requires board to actually sort of sign off on any transfer of shares, but there is a bit of work that needs to go through that. But um, if there is some sort of um, element that a virtual or other crowdfunding platform can sort of fill the void, I think you'll start to see... More capital come into what is now capitally constrained markets.
0: I do think Matt Vitalia Birchall is working on that particular thing. Now, I don't know what it's been like for you as a startup founder, Angus, but the big issue, especially in the last couple of years through the pandemic, has been getting a hold of tech staff, getting a hold of developers, yeah. all those people to help build your business. And yours is a tech deck heavy business, advisor ratings. Dan Brockwell from Early Work joined us on the show this week because, of course, the other thing we're now starting to see is people being laid off, talented people, smart people. And, of course, one man's, you know, rain mm. cloud is another's rainbow, so there are opportunities like that in analogy, terms of yes. moving people around. So that's what he did. He partnered uh, the Early Work team with the VC Afterwork Ventures to set up this new platform for retrenched workers to find new jobs in the tech sector. How cool is that?
1: Yeah, no, it's, um, that's great. You know, America, in terms of what we saw out of the US, in terms of some of the, because uh, some of the VCs have been telling this, don't pull the trigger on any new hires just yet. What we're seeing out of the market in the US is obviously uh, the slow in these growth companies. There's a bunch of new smart people coming onto the market. Um, and so th- this is great. They've got somewhere to go. You know, we had Vault, obviously a bo- bunch of whole new, what they call voltas now onto the market. So you're going to start um, those high growth companies that can't get access to ca- capital. You're going to start seeing the market ease a little bit, um, which thankful for companies like us, which is growing. It had, like, I'll be honest, it has been difficult. You know, we're paying 30, 40% more for a data engineer, for a software developer, Um They're just just not easily accessible in Australia.
0: Well, I did ask Dan why they did this. Here's what he said. Over the past couple of weeks, um, you know, we've woken up in
3: kind of, you know, the early work community and seen, you know, people posting about layoff stories um, and friends personally who are super talented, you know, getting laid off from tech and startup roles in Australia. And we've been thinking about, you know, how to best help these people um, and realize that, you know, beyond just our immediate community, there are far more people affected. What we've decided to launch in partnership with Afterwork Ventures is something called Between Work. This is a free directory to help tech and startup workers who've been affected by recent layoffs in Australia and New Zealand to find their next role faster. Our thesis is that, you know, though we are seeing stories around layoffs in the media, those are a small percentage of the companies out there overall. And there are lots of companies that are still out there actively hiring for tech and startup roles. So what that means is workers who have been affected can register their details in this directory free. Be discreetly and quickly connected with tech companies that are still part. And then if you're a company out there that's still looking to hire and keen to, you know, snap up some you know amazing talent, uh, you can sign up to access that directory for free. Um, we thought you know between early work and after work we both had these big communities of people in the tech and startup community and we wanted to team up and use our network as a force for good insofar as getting people through a difficult period in the ecosystem.
0: So as he says it will be a, a bit of a difficult period in the ecosystem for a little while longer. So that's why I asked him, well, is this a little bit of a rebalance? Will there be a little bit of a silver lining out of this in terms of your problem trying to find people to work? Here's what he said about that. If you
3: asked me a year ago, you know, very much the the perspective was that, you know, it was a candidate's market. It was super hard for, you know, companies to hire and snap up talent. So I do think that, you know, there is, you know, a bit of a silver lining in some sense for companies that are still actively hiring and are still growing quickly. That there are, you know, these workers who through no fault of their own, um, you know, are amazing, but have ended up losing roles. And um, what that does mean is, you know, for companies that are out there looking for talent, um, definitely they should be, you know, prioritizing and focusing a lot of the amazing talent that's, you know, having to unfortunately leave these companies. So that's Dan
0: Brockwell from early work talking about the future. He's pretty optimistic. Um, are you optimistic at this point in time going into what some are starting to think could be a recession?
1: Um, I'm I, I change my views regularly on this one, Simon. I, longer term, I, I, I'd like to think uh, we're seeing it. Um, we're starting to see some activity. It, it reminded me of the onset of the pandemic. You know, everyone threw their hands up fearful and, and hmm. for, for three Not months, knowing what's next. Not knowing what's next. I think that's what we're going through at the moment. I think there are some fundamentals which are quite, still quite strong in the market, um, there's obviously some unknowns. Recession's um, have a habit of actually basically spiralling. Um, so I don't know if it's going to spiral or if we're going to have a soft landing. And I know the RBA is trying to manage that. Smarter guys than than me, or maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I always uh, I always worry about what what the RBA is doing. But um, in terms of whether we're going to have a soft landing or not, I'd like to think that we are. We've got a really really smart um, I'd say crew of. Entrepreneurs, of developers, of data engineers in Australia, mm. coming out of the universities. We we employ uh, quite a few people out of the directly out of the universities. I can say the talent coming out of the universities in Australia is absolutely phenomenal.
0: That's great to hear. Of course, uh, people like the Tech Council are saying there's just not enough of them. No, at this there point in time. Yep. But one of the people we also spoke to this week is Dexter Cousins, the managing director of Tier One People. You may have listened to his fintech podcast. It's great. But, of course, Dexter's done a few laps of the oval when it comes to cyclical downturns and he remembers the dot-com crash in 99 and then, of course, the GFC in 2007. He sees patterns and when I spoke to him this week and he wrote a great piece for us about the tech talent bubble for StartupDaily.net, he was talking about how a red hot talent marker was one of those precursors he's seen each time leading to a downturn. Here's what he said about the current situation.
4: Every one of these kind of bubbles that I've seen, whether it was 2000, whether it was uh, the GFC, has always been preceded by a red hot talent market. And you know, I remember back, it was the same in '99, it was the same in 2002, you know, 2007, 2008, and 2021, 2022. I think if you ask anybody, they'll say it. Say that. You know, salaries have all blown out of proportion. The demands that they're seeing by candidates are are blowing out of proportion. So that's just one of the things that I think we kind of see as a a recurring theme um, whenever there's about to be a downturn. Um, What's been really interesting, though, is that each of those downturns is how fast that dynamic shifts, where, you know, I, I kind of distinctly remember 2008 in August, I would have you know twenty thirty jobs, and I think by about mid September, when Lehman's crashed, it, everything was off the table. And so, you know, very quickly when there's a recession, companies put hiring on hold. So we're we're kind of got some very interesting dynamics that are starting to play out. We're hearing more and more about job losses. We're hearing more and more about hiring freezes. We're seeing in the U.S., you know, Elon Musk is, is and Tesla have made. I think 10 percent of their workforce redundant. Um, Mark Zuckerberg was in the press at the weekend saying that they're putting some real heat now on their staff, and that you know they they want to see performance improve. And there's likely to be either people leave or they'll make redundancies. So I think we're starting to see the beginnings now of some real kind of you know kind of cooling in the market of of that talent um, kind of shortage.
0: So uh, interesting times we're moving into Angus. Going back to what you're yeah. saying about the costs that you're incurring in employing people, I did wonder if we're going to start seeing a little bit of a reset. And I put that same point to him because one of the things that we saw previously when this was a problem was like the big banks who started to offshore all of their technology yeah. at that time. Small startups are being priced out of the market. It's okay if you're big and you've got a strong cash flow and you're profitable, you can afford to pay the premium. On workers, so the question is: Will it start to shift, perhaps, to looking for more people offshore to solve the local problem? Here's what Dexter said about that.
4: If you look at look back to 2008, Simon, um, the big four banks, you know, and, and all the large financial institutions that I worked with at the time had this big move to offshoring, you know, and that had a massive impact on entry level jobs for people leaving university. And so I think, you know, without a doubt, we're, we're seeing similar dynamics again, not just, um, you know, offshoring, but we've seen a lot of startups who have been priced out, out of the market, look to markets like Eastern Europe, um, Asia, India, to, to hire really experienced talent at, you know, 40% kind of reduction on what they're actually paying for somebody with two years experience. And as those, I I think that was done out of necessity. But as that continues and we see this kind of shift to remote working, I think that will be very much a, a strategy that a lot of businesses will employ, even as we move through a recession and the
0: talent market becomes a little bit easier. Now, he really dove down into the weeds with me, Angus, because he was talking about where we were two years ago. And made a really interesting point that perhaps a few two companies and startups are amongst them were on life support for a little bit too long, thanks to the government, thanks to the shift from corporates turning into digital, and of yep. course venture capital, which was just, you know, the, the fire hose was turned on for the last two years as they saw opportunity. We're about to go through a much tougher time, was Dexter's call. Here's his analysis of where we were and where we are.
4: What we had two years ago was a, a situation where really a lot of businesses and a lot of startups um, you know, sh- should have, have probably gone out of business. And we had the government rightly come in and, and add a lot of support through JobKeepers, which kept some alive. But as we've seen then the additional VC funding come in, and it was, look, I think that was then compounded by um, – corporates turning digital overnight. We just had this massive, massive demand for for tech talent. And, you know, there's been way too much demand and not enough supply, which is just really, you know, it's massively kind of bloated the the salaries out. Now what we're hearing is, you know, most founders are being told that they've got to have runway for the next 12 to 24 months, um, that there's not going to be much capital coming into the space and that they've really got to control costs and get to cash flow positive as quickly as possible. So I think there's going to be some real heat you know put on businesses and unfortunately, you know I think we are going to see some startups not be able to 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 be able to to be solvent and will have to unfortunately shut their doors.
0: So Angus, your thoughts on that commentary? Um, are you expecting- I, I have
1: a, I have a lot of time for Dexter. I've known Dexter for tw- 15 20 years. So we 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 often uh, uh, philosophers about the market and what's going and on and and, and I do I do tend to agree uh, with what Dexter said um, you know like-minded people like to fish around in the same sort of circles but um, but he's very much Paul Revere on Twitter right now he's kind of sounding the alarm yeah it, it, what VCS VCS have thrown a lot of money in the last two years and they've been telling companies go and spend it go and hire we don't want you to be sitting on cash on your balance sheet. Um, you know that, that goes against my accounting philosophy sometimes, <laughs> where I always think I need a buffer for the downturns. So um, it's it's I, I do think, and a lot of these aren't that. A lot of these startups and these uh, innovative new guys coming out of university don't really have the history of a market downturn. So they've been spending money because they've been told to spend money, and now all of a sudden the rug's been pulled from under them, um, and. And this is what we're saying. and I, I do think it's going to be a it's going to be a hard market for a lot of these uh, startups.
0: Well, here's one of the other questions I asked him: uh, How are people seeing it from the founder and the talent side? He sees two very different things. Here's his point:
4: On the founder side, I think you know there's a a recognition that hey, you know, it's it's time to really focus on and and you know get get heads down, bum up, and and really just focus on. You're making the the business profitable and getting it to kind of cash flow positive space. From the talent side, I don't think they've kind of quite recognized yet or or can see the signs. I think, you know, there's very much this belief that they're going to permanently be working from home. Um, We're hearing from leaders that, you know, they're going to start putting their foot down around people coming into the office two or three days per week at least. Um because look it it's getting serious, right there's <laughs> the, 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 you know for a lot of businesses now it really is kind of time to you know kind of hit hit the floor and start making things happen. and if they don't you know the the outcome's not a not a positive one. So whilst I think there's still optimism, there's still very much you know there is money there's there, there will be capital invested. I think there is a, a recognition from the industry that there will be consolidation.
0: So isn't that interesting? He thinks that the talent doesn't see the writing on the wall just yet. The founders are already hunkering down but there's a, going to be a little bit of a rude awakening if you are someone who thinks you don't have to come back into the office and that you can keep your premium salary at this point in time. There's oh, going yes. to be a big shift.
1: Yeah, huge shift. I, like I think um, I think at the moment, me, as, a, as a founder that's been through a, a couple of downturns or in corporate life been through a couple of downturns, the challenge as a founder is also to, and I think this is what founders are going through at the moment, is making sure that the the team feels comfortable and stable. So, starting to have those harder conversations is probably not on the radar for many many founders. It's more about talking uh, to their to their investors, uh, really shoring up what their strategy is, and then determining what's next when it comes to staffing. So, some of those are some of them are uh, well ahead of the curve um, around that. Um, depending on where you are in your sort of cash cycle. Uh, some are hopeful that they probably ha- don't have to have that conversation with their, with their staff probably for a couple more months, but it's coming.
0: Well, speaking of staffing, one of the other people we spoke to this week is Jackie Bull. She's the co-founder of Sidekicker. That's just landed $20 million from SEEK. You can kind of see the synergies there because what Sidekicker does is it tackles staff shortages by providing temporary labour Um, and it's got a platform to deal with all of that. I had a conversation with her where I, along with what she plans to do with the money, and of course they want to build it out, they're in New Zealand, they can see bigger opportunities. I asked her about the shift that we've seen in terms of labour and the worker shortage over the last two years. Here's her point about that.
5: What we've seen uh, over the last kind of six months is really a surge in demand as businesses open up, and the labour shortages across the country and across New Zealand um, are really not easing up at the speed that we would have expected um, or we would have liked to see. So what we're finding is companies that would have you know, traditionally hired internally are turning to platforms like Sidekicker um, to supplement their labour uh, because they just can't get the volumes and the quality and, and volume of labour that they need to support the kind of the quick rebound that we've seen. Um, And that's kind of more recently. And over the last month or two, we've actually seen week on week increase in the registrations of workers looking for work. So that is suggesting that, you know, the increase in inward migration and we're starting to see the labor market uh, ease a little bit, uh, but we've still got a long way to go. And we we expect that this is is still going to be a long journey for businesses out there,
0: trying to get staff. So isn't it interesting that it's not just that, of course, businesses are looking to hire casual staff as a solution, but people are also signing up for this platform. They're also playing a premium there. I think one of the numbers I saw was that up to 30% in areas like hospitality and medical healthcare are part of the premium. They're paying above award wages. So there are opportunities there that even employees are seeing in terms of, okay, I'll offer myself on the casual front. And I think, I suppose, in some ways, out of a couple of years of the gig economy being front and centre, people can sort of see the benefits and maybe adjust their lives accordingly.
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, you had Expert 360, which was one of the first uh, organisations that started to sort of commoditise that sort of gig economy but at much at the high-end level. Mm. Um, so having these firms come out, and I think you're going to... Uh, the thematics over the next two or three years, there's going to be certain thematics that are going to play out where there's going to be huge opportunities. Um, it depends on where you are in your employment cycle and it depends on where you are in your startup founder cycle. Um, you know, and that's what I, I'm going through exactly the same thing. What are the thematics playing out at the market where there's some opportunities for us as a business, but also I think there's going to be some opportunities for people that want to start a business. Um, so it's, and, and those that have come out, basically, out of the gig economy. And I want to make mention before a comment that Dexter made around this market. Um, it is a very different market from the GFC and even the from before that. We're now seeing people far more inclined to take risks, try new things. I know it's the whole whole adage of fail fast, fail quickly and all of those uh, sort of cliched comments that come out in this economy. But that's what's going to happen over the next two years. It's going to be really interesting and f- fun to watch, I think. We live
0: in interesting times. Well, of course, mental health has been a big issue and I think my favourite guest I'm going to say this week is was Dr Louise Metcalf. She's built this app, George. It's just had some support from the WA government. Um, not too much, but enough to kick her idea a little bit further down the road. It's a mental health app for children and I just loved it. So I asked her to explain what it does, how it works.
6: George is a brand new way to think about mental health. He's basically a collaborative approach between families and treaters. So we're putting together what families experience in a very real and dynamic fashion alongside what treaters need in order to really treat mental health for kids really well. And it's a thing called outcomes-based mental health care.
0: Now, the really cool thing about this was that I wanted her to tell me more. She's worked with around about 1,000 kids across Australia. Talk about crowdsourcing in terms of building George into this character. So it's almost like, I think, Bluey for mental health in this respect. They've worked with RMIT, Murdoch Children's Research Centre, um, and it does some extraordinary things like reducing panic in kids and anxiety, and it does it really quickly and she can see more opportunities. Here's her explaining George.
6: George is a really super cute character He's co-created with now over a thousand kids in schools across Australia, including some in Western Australia. And he's just very cute. He's designed to be very comforting. And as a result, he really speaks to kids. and, And they do love to work with him. They do love to talk to him. And they also get to change his look a little bit and make him look how they want him to look. And they get a little bit of gamification about their mental health, a little bit of really identity enforcing gamification rather than that Pavlovian response that is very strong in tech these days. And it just helps them to feel really confident about what they're learning and their progress with their mental health. So it's very positive.
0: Now, she's in her early stage. So the important thing is I said to her, what do you need? And she, does, she is looking for capital around about $1.1 $1. $1 million in a seed round. I am going to send her name to a couple of VCs I know because this is a project I really, really believe in. But I'll get her to explain what she's looking for.
6: Oh, we absolutely need some capital. So if there's any VCs out there who are really interested in solving children's mental health around the world, we would love to talk to you. So for now, we are raising a $1.1 $1. $1 million seed We do have some soft commitments, but we'd really love to add more investors into that mix, uh, particularly investors who have an interest, who have a passion in this area, because we do, and we really want to reach every kid. So we're looking for for investors who understand that mission and who want to jump on board with that.
0: So, yes, jump on board with that. I know you're a little bit short of cash right now. You've got your own priorities there, Angus, but... I wanted to, there was a story I asked, you must have these amazing stories, and she said she had feedback the very day we had the interview from a mum about how her son can now talk to them, his parents, and explain how he feels. They used to end up in fights. There were these massive family fights. Now he can manage his emotions. And it just, the empowerment that this app gives kids, I think, in terms of, their, their ability to know what they're doing and take control of themselves, I think it just sounds absolutely extraordinary. Yes. This might not be a 10Xer or a 50 or a 100Xer, but this is an idea that I just want to love and want to see roll out across the country.
1: Well, I think these purpose-driven social ideas is is what's needed. And as a dad, you know, as a, my, my five-year-old son, Oscar, his name is, um, uh, if he listens to this in 20 years' time, he'll probably hit me over the head, but um, to say... You know, he you know he he has this valid fear because he's seeing uh, all the floods on the screens at the moment that he's being exposed to, and we're oblivious to it, obviously, as parents. But he woke up in absolute terror the other night, and he's got this now this anxiety, panic attacks around the fact that he's going to drown in a flood. Um, oh. So you know, it's it's I, I, for those these sorts of um, these sorts of initiatives really touch home yeah. um, for most of us, uh, especially ones that have got kids, and I. As, as someone, um, as a founder of the financial advice community where 50% of people, advisors lost their jobs, uh, huge suicide rate in the industry, um, affecting families, not just the individual adults themselves. Yeah, the ripple. But the impact it has across the, the entire sort of, uh, the, the family network um, is huge. Angus Woods, been great to
0: have you on the show today from Advisor Ratings. Thank you for your insights. Of course, you can listen to this wherever you like to hear your podcast, and there are plenty of other episodes. I think we're up to about 15 now since wow. we kicked this off. Uh, I have great fun talking to amazing people every week. Of course, you can catch the Startup Daily Show on Ausbiz, 2 p.m., Monday to Thursday. Everyone, you have a great weekend. We'll catch you again next Friday. Don't forget to check out the site, startupdaily.net. Bye for now. See you later.